Okay, um, well, we are making our way through the book of 1 John, and one of the themes of 1 John is that John is trying to give Christians assurance of their faith, assurance that they truly have accepted Jesus and that they are trusting Him as Lord and Savior. But I also think that John is trying to help us understand a little bit of what does it look like to follow Jesus. What does it look like for you as a high schooler to follow Jesus? Um, recently in my life, my beautiful, loving, awesome, amazing wife um, has been going through this phase where she likes a particular musical called Hamilton. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, um, but she constantly um, has it on, talks about it, says, Aaron, you need to listen to the whole thing. And don't get me wrong, there are parts of it I like. But on Friday nights, um, CBS had an hour and a half documentary on about Hamilton, this Broadway play about the founding father, Alexander Hamilton, on the $10 bill. And we even had some friends come over, and they started kind of late because we were talking. So um, I went to bed. They, like, Michael was even there. Michael stayed up and watched the whole thing. What time did they get over at? Like, one. One, two, yeah. They're dedicated. I was like, I'm not staying up for this. But here's the thing I really do, if you know anything about me, I really enjoy early American history. So I can't tell this to my wife that I kind of like it. And I, because if I said I like it, she'd be like, you know, you see, I told you to listen to me more often. I have good ideas, and I don't want to start that train. Okay, so I kind of like a, a closet lover of this play Hamilton. Um, it is really, it is pretty cool because if you know anything about it, they take the story of Alexander Hamilton, and the entire play is an R&B and hip hop. So they're rapping through the entire history of you know the American Revolution and all this stuff. And every character in the play is actually played by a minority. So there is no like white people in it. So Thomas Jefferson is just a black dude with a huge fro. Um, and it's very unique in that way. And um, super well-liked, super popular. And I, was, I ended up watching the documentary the next morning because I went to bed as a responsible adult. Because I knew someone, one of our kids, would wake up at 7. And if she's going to stay up late. Uh, so I went to bed early. But I watched it that day. And it was really cool and it was neat and they showed parts of the play that I enjoyed. But there was one part of it where these actors who are minorities, and a lot of them being black or Latino, began to say, how could someone, these founding fathers who did such a great thing in our country by helping write the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, how can they own people? And some of the actors really wrestled with this part of like, man, they did so many great things. There's so many things that, they, that, that Alexander Hamilton wrote, the Federalist Papers, and all these different things, and started most of, much of our government. But he was kind of a tool. And he's kind of a person, and these founding fathers, like George Washington, the first president, they owned slaves. And you, and you have to just scratch your head and, and see just... The, the perplexity of that as someone who is so well respected and liked yet can own humans as property. That reminds me of the hymn writer John Newton who wrote the song Amazing Grace. I'm sure most of you know. And um, John Newton was studying to become a pastor and he was a, um, a captain of a slave ship. And so a lot of times, a lot of his writings, he's talking about 
him hearing from God and having this wonderful prayer life and really communing with God and writing these letters to his wife about how his relationship with God is blossoming and he's falling in love with the gospel, yet just feet below him are Africans who are being treated as cargo. And you just kind of have to wonder, how can someone write such incredible things but not see the huge glare of not loving people? And sure, there's a lot of arguments you can have. It was the culture of the day and a lot of people. But, you know, John Noon, it took him a very long time to get to the point to where he actually saw the slave trade for what it was. Barbaric. I would argue that a lot of times in our lives, and you can even look at the, the, the faith of Christianity, like the Crusades, that there are glaring holes and we have a relationship with God, yeah, but how we treat people doesn't really speak to that. And so I think John here is someone who's writing this letter to this persecuted church who's going through a lot of struggles, but John himself is undergoing a lot of strife and persecution. In writing this letter about love, he is warning people that, hey, there are people who are coming around you and saying that you can love God and kind of do whatever you want. Whatever you want to treat people like, that's cool. But you can love God and pretty much hate those people, the people who are mean to you or the people who are attacking you. That you can love God and really kind of do whatever you want. And John is writing in love and talking to them about love. About for a Christian, if you're going to have a relationship with God, that means that you must love one another. So if you look down at 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7, we'll read this passage and dive into it for a little bit. So 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Beloved. Now, don't go, too, don't go too far from that word. We'll come back to it and talk about it. But he starts off, Beloved, my beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You pray with me. God, I pray, Lord, that as we approach this passage of Scripture, that we would have open hearts to the faults and the glares and the holes of our own Christian lives. God, forgive us when we presume that we're really not that bad. Forgive us, Lord, when we think the problem lies with other people and not within our own hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us a better sense of your love for us, that it may translate into loving others well. Jesus, we love you and want to give you all the praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John is talking about love. 
And what's fascinating is he kind of describes it in a unique way. A lot of times in this little book, it's only five chapters, John talks a lot of in absolutes. Light and darkness, right and wrong, good and bad. But here, he describes love in a unique way. Of not a this and that, but more of a both and and. And if you notice, he says, I am writing to you no new commandment. So he's trying to say, hey, listen, there are going to be a lot of people around you who tell you that you can have a relationship with God and you can kind of do whatever you want. And in essence, what they're doing is they're kind of making up their own little faith. They want to relate to God however they want. So he begins by saying, hey, listen, what I'm telling you, I'm not just making it up. It's, it's something that we've known about our faith from the very beginning by an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. And so he's actually referring back to chapter 1 where he says, this is this which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. That really what he's getting at is that the idea of loving one another is the very gospel that you first heard of. The idea that we would love others better than ourselves is not a new idea when Christianity came along particularly people in the Old Testament, we call them Israelites, they would have known this. If you sum up the Ten Commandments, you get this idea that we're supposed to love God and love others. That all throughout God's history with his people, there has been this cry and this call to love other people. To consider the well-being of our neighbors. And by neighbors, we mean every human. And so he's trying to say, hey, listen, there's going to be people who are going to say, you need just to love however. But let me, let me just bring out a small point of observation. Do you notice that he says here that loving someone doesn't mean that you have to agree with them every time? How do we know that? Because in one sense, John is disagreeing with people here. He's saying there are people who are telling you this, but in a loving way, I'm going to disagree. Now, this is what I would say. There are, there are people in our culture, and maybe even you believe this, that it's almost like this idea of an adolescent, that in order to love me, you have to give me everything that I want, that you have to think that everything I think, that you have to make sure that you never disagree with me one bit, but give me everything that I want. And that's love. If you don't give me what I want, you don't love me, as the child would say. If you don't think what I think, if you think differently than me, you don't love me. You don't get me. You don't understand me. But here's the thing. That's not really love. That's flattery. And more so than that, that's the demand that people know what you're thinking at all times. So John here is saying, hey, in fact, loving someone doesn't mean that you can't disagree with them. But that this command here is all about the idea that it's not new. Or is it new? What does he say? Look down at verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Now, okay, when I'm studying this passage, I'm like, bro, give me a break here. It's an old commandment, but also it's a new commandment. Can, it's like the whole logic thing. If something is A, then it can't be B. But you're saying it kind of is. So it's a both and type of a thing, right? It's a new commandment that he's trying to get at. The old thing, it's the ancient thing. It's the thing from days past, when we were originally created, before the fall, before sin affected us, we were supposed to have relationships with one another 
in which we always consider the interests of others. Think for a second what culture would be like, what business would be like, if people did not consider their own profit as the number one priority. What if in business and entrepreneurs felt that giving a service to the society for the society's well-being is the best goal in mind and not just profits? Ideally, that is what loving one another should look like a little bit. But it goes on to say it's a new commandment to love one another. And if you, if you remember, this is pretty simple to remember, that the person who wrote First John also wrote the Gospel of John. And in doing that, he writes out what Jesus says in John 13, 38. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, a new command I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. So the new commandment that Jesus is giving is kind of a recapitulation of this old command. In essence, what, what's happening here is that Jesus is refreshing, he's redressing, he is personifying this command that we've always heard from the very beginning that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus actually fulfills all of that command of loving your neighbor perfectly and well. And what John begins to describe here is that there are two ways that we relate to one another. There are two different views of how we should love other people. The first way that we relate is that we can love God and hate others. This week I was reading a few articles about religious persecution, primarily Christian persecution. On Thursday of just this week, there was a village in Nigeria where 47 Christians were brutally slaughtered to death. Um, it's surprising to me of how much digging I had to do to find that story and to make sure it was accurate. But this pastor of this tiny little village in Nigeria began to talk about how they need to rebuild and what they need, kind of supplies, and that they need to pray for the people who are persecuting them. You see, I don't know if it was a different sect of the same religion or if it was Islam or whatever it was, some religions, and I'll, I'll be honest, the Christian faith at times has done this wrong too, that they would say, in God's name, I hate you and I'm going to kill you. But contrast that to the response of the churches in Pakistan and Iraq and Iran, who in being persecuted for being a Christian, they say, in God's name, we forgive you and we love you. You see, the, the Apostle John is considered to be the Apostle of love. That's his like, patron theme, that he is the Apostle of love because he talks about love so much. But you have to think, who really was John? John didn't always understand love perfectly. In fact, before Jesus, if you met the Apostle John, John would say that the people who are sick, they're sick because they sinned and they did something bad, and therefore they should be avoided. He would say that those who are poor have done something wrong and they deserve to be poor. John, before he met Jesus, 
which say that if you're a Gentile, if you're not a Jewish person, you're unclean. And I can't be friends with you. He would tell women that you don't deserve dignity. If you were a Samaritan, you'd be hated in God's name. This is the same guy who, talking about Jesus, says, a new command I give you, to love one another. Who says in this command, it's an old one and it's a new one. That if you don't love your brother, you're walking in darkness. How did he, how did he get to the point to where he would look at pretty much everyone else other than him and hate them? And to the point to where he says, love everyone. What happened to John? Jesus happened to John. He changed because of Jesus. Why does this matter? Why does it matter about how we love people? Why does it matter that we love well people who think differently than us politically? Why does it matter that we love every person? There's a few things he says, but the first is this, that we lose. If we do not love, we lose. What do we lose? Apparently, we lose God. He goes on to say, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. So the first thing that we lose when we do not love one another is we lose God. I remember I was in the sixth grade and my family went to Disneyland. Um, our grandma, like five years before that, gave us tickets to Disneyland to go. And of course, it's like the tickets are about to expire or something like that. Um, my dad's like, all right, we got to go. So on a Saturday in like summertime, we go to Disneyland. I rode like six rides that day. Um, but here's the thing. I remember this memory in which there's a parade happening. And I wanted to go. I, I was really big into magic. I still am very fascinated with magic. But I wanted to go to this magic shop. And the magic shop was like in the, the downtown Disney part of um, Disneyland. And there's this parade happening. And so there's like, it's like a street. And there's like curves. And so we're trying to walk as a family. But there are just like moms and moms of people. I'm like thousands of the sea of people. Right? And so what do you do? You kind of do one of those things where you, you put your hand on your brother's shoulder and he puts his hand on mom and mom has her hand on dad and this, this weird little thing where you kind of like, and you feel kind of embarrassed because you look kind of funny. Like, I'm in sixth grade. I don't need to hold your hand, mom. Kind of a thing. And with so many people, you have this, those moments where you kind of like, someone cuts you off and you, you kind of lose connection. And you're kind of just desperately trying to like get back to the point where you're all together again. And if maybe in that type of way, when we do not love well, when we look at our brother and don't love them as Jesus would love them, we lose that connection with God. We, we, we lose him. We, we miss the opportunity to have fellowship with God. And I don't believe John is, is talking about people who, who know God and lose connection, but rather people who say they know God and who don't love their brother really don't know him at all. 
And so the first thing that we lose is that we can lose God. By not taking the topic of loving one another seriously, we lose. The second thing that we lose, according to John, if you look down in verse 10, it kind of gets at this, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. The second thing that we lose when we don't love well is that we lose touch with our neighbor. Now, really quick, that word brother there, um, I know as Christians we kind of read that word and we, we immediately spiritualize it. A lot of times in the New Testament, Adelphos, the word for brother, it does mean like a Christian um, believer, they consider them a brother, but it also can mean like familial, that someone's like John and James, they were actual brothers, sons of Zebedee. But really the word Adelphos is the word for fellows, which just means fellow man. In which I believe Adelphos, um, the idea of fellows, can be applied to any time the word is used. And so what John is saying here, anytime we don't love our fellow man at all, not just people who we consider to be our actual brothers, or our bros, or our Christian brothers, but anybody, he is saying, we, we lose touch with our neighbor when we do not love one another. And in fact, what he is saying here is that we, when we do not love well, we give cause for them and for us to stumble and trip. Now, there's this really dumb movie, and as I preach, I always have to be careful to not, like, like if I talk about a certain movie with one scene that relates, but the whole movie has a horrible different scenes in it, and it kind of seems like I'm condoning the movie. But um, this movie is surprisingly very funny. And maybe I'm wrong for it, but it's called Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. All right? Um, and he, like, somehow gets this kid and he wants to adopt him, but he pretty much is like the, Adam Sandler's the kind of parent. He lets him do whatever he wants, okay? So they go down to New York Central Park, and this little, like, six-year-old kid is, like, um, watching the rollerbladers go by, and he throws sticks in front of them. And like this dude's coming down this hill, and the kid throws the stick, and the rollerblader just like nails the stick, and goes into the water, and does all these crazy like, and the kid's just laughing, and he thinks it's really funny, okay? Like they purposely wanted people to trip. And you kind of think if you've ever been like on a skateboard or rollerblade, you hit the curb or something, there's a gap in the sidewalk, and you, you hit it and you fall. What happens when we don't love people well, we are actually giving people the opportunity to sin. We are making it hard for them to love well. And John is saying, hey, when it, when it comes to loving your neighbor, when you don't do that well, you're not just hurting them, you're hurting yourself as well. We arouse sin in others when we bring our sin on them. When I love poorly my wife and my kids, my friends, you guys, my staff, I am giving them an opportunity. I'm almost like throwing a stick out in front of them for them to fall and to sin as well. And John is saying, hey, listen, this is what we lose when we don't love well. Sometimes we're just the worst. 
Like, can we just agree? I mean, I'll speak for myself, but sometimes we love so poorly. I think um, around Christian context, whether in a small group or in a youth group or a home group or a core group or a cell group or a life transformation group, they have all these different names for groups, right? We do a few things. Either we're people who are super passive and we kind of don't say much and we uh, don't talk much and we kind of, sometimes like, I don't know if you guys ever do this. Um, this is me giving you a license to kind of like, I'll expose my cards without having you. But maybe you do, maybe you don't. But sometimes you kind of put up a little test in your brain for people and you kind of say, I'm not going to really say anything and I'm going to see how long it takes for them to actually come and say hi to me and, and tell me that that they're happy to see me. And then the more and more time goes by, you feel more self-justified and say, see, they don't even care about me. I could leave and they'll never even notice me. And all you're really doing is making up your own little game and forcing people to read your mind and what you think. You know, in, in one sense, by doing that, like how much are we really loving those people? Are we assuming the best in them? Are we being gracious at their failures? But sometimes also, when it comes to, to this group, sometimes we, we speak poorly of others. Sometimes we ignore people. Or we think really bad thoughts about them, and we might even be tempted to talk about other people. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about how like, we don't exaggerate stories about other people, and we don't try to make them look bad, but we actually seek to make their name better. But here's what I'd say. The gospel really frees us from being passive and requiring others to do things for us. If you live a life where you feel like you need people to treat you well and they don't hear me and I don't feel loved and you took, you're not really hearing my side of the story and you demand all your rights to be met and you demand all these things to be happening in order for you to love well, I'd say you're kind of missing the gospel. John here is probably a person who's writing these things whose rights aren't met. Who probably doesn't have a lot of things like a lot of nice clothes. Probably doesn't get fed a lot. Probably doesn't get a, the, the opportunity to really speak his mind. But here he is, out of love, being very reasonable, trying to tell these people that listen, even when people don't like you, even when your voice isn't heard. Even when your rights aren't meant, you need to love others. And it is only the gospel that allows us to, and really it frees us to enter into real relationship with people. That I don't have to love you based on what you're going to give me. Do you know why? Because Jesus doesn't demand a thing from us. Jesus loves us when we, in fact, were enemies of him. Jesus loves us even on our worst days. Jesus says, I'm going to love you no matter what you do. And because of that, when we, when we understand the idea that we are loved, we can love others well. Another thing that we lose is we lose ourselves when we don't love. He talks a lot about being blinded in the darkness and you don't know where you're going. And because the darkness has blinded his eyes, we have the opportunity 
um, to really fall short of doing anything meaningful for God when we have the absence of loving other people. I don't know if you can tell yet, but the idea of loving well your neighbor is a pretty important topic for John. He doesn't take it lightly. And as I, as I think about this, I wonder what you're thinking. Maybe the thought process is, you know, yeah, I, no one is perfect at loving one another. At times we lose our temper. At times I get kind of mad and I say some stuff I shouldn't. But for the most part, I, I'm a pretty nice, loving person, you think? When it comes to your friends, you love them, you care for them, you do a lot for them. You might even have a special focus group. These people's rights are being hinge on, and so I need to speak up for them, and I'm, I'm going to love them. Maybe your, your Facebook friends, your Instagram followers, or people you Snapchat, you, you love them and you care for them. But sometimes I would say that while we are focusing so much on loving these people, we unintentionally forget about these people. I was walking in a parking lot one time, and this lady was like um, looking out her window because she saw some other people coming, and I could tell her eyes were just fixed on these people, making sure that she wasn't going to hit them, but she didn't see me standing right behind her car. And she just kept backing out, backing out, thinking that she was taking care of these people. And I kind of like did one of those things where I slapped slap the car really hard, like, hey, I'm standing here, you know? It totally almost hit me. And she's backing up, not that she's going to kill me or anything like that. But isn't, don't we do that sometimes? We're, we're so focused over here, and we completely lose sight of all the people over here. We love people in our schools. We love people in this room. We love our boyfriends and our girlfriends. We love the people who comment on our posts. We love the people who are nice to us. We love the people who congratulate us and give us the verbal affirmation we need. But for some reason, we have a really hard time obeying our parents. I could be nice to my neighbor across the street, but come into my, hell, my house and raise hell with one of my siblings. One teacher is the best teacher ever and she get a raise and this teacher is the absolute worst. I mean, uh, it was my wife's birthday on Wednesday, so Thursday night we went to dinner. Uh, Pellegrino's at the place. It's pretty good. Um, so I'm talking to her about I'm studying First John, I'm studying love, and I'm studying about how we need to love one another, and it's really encouraging, it's also really challenging. And we're driving home, <laughs> driving home, and I come up to like a stoplight, and I, I, I mean, I kid you not, like, I was like maybe like a hair over the white line, okay? Like, not really even, like here's the crosswalk, here's like the white line, and our little minivan was like maybe like a hair over. But there's this girl, who was probably good like 10 feet away, saw that I was sticking out, and she had headphones in, and she's just like, 
looking at the car like this, like, like I like committed treason because I was like an inch over like the white line. She's like so offended by it. So I, I put the car in neutral and I just like, <laughs> it's revved it, okay? It's like, I see you, whatever, like I'm a hair over the line, get over it. And she's just like, <laughs> I start honking. Like, honk, 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 honk. And she's just like, <laughs> my finger was like on like the roll down the window my wife's like hey love you gotta love people you just talked about this she wouldn't let me roll down the window see why, why is it that like why is it that in one moment I could, I could talk about love and I can love my wife so very well but five minutes later, I have a lack of love. Here, I, think, I think here is, um, here's the point. That the, the demands of loving people are so vast, so deep, so broad. Who can really love people well intentionally all the time? You see, if you think that you love well, it takes one girl to get annoyed at you because you're a hair over the line for all of your theology about loving people right out the window. It takes one person to give you a silly comment that they probably didn't mean anything by for you to harbor up hatred in your heart towards that person. It takes one little thing for you to get completely sidetracked off this idea that I should love people as Christ has loved me. So if you really think that you can fulfill this love of Jesus, a loving one another that is so vast and so deep and so broad. I just, I, I, I buckle under the pressure of what does it really mean to love my neighbor better than myself. And that is the point. There are two myths out there. One, that Christians can love without Christ. And like I said, all it takes is a minute in your car to show you how fragile your love really is. But two, there's a, there's a myth that those who are unchristian, those who aren't Christians, can't love. There's a myth to say that if you go to church, that you can't love. Or that if you don't go to church, you can't love. All you fundamentalist religious people, you are just trying to tell people how to live their lives. You, you cry out against abortion and homosexuality. You guys, you can't love, you religious folk. Shame on you. Right? I, I just feel like it almost seems that Christians are as sometimes viewed as the most unloving people. And I think there are a lot of Christians who say that. Some of the most harsh things that people have ever done to them have come from people in their church. But is it just Christians who struggle? Do you think it's only Christians who would flip you off when you cut them off in the freeway? Do you think it's only Christians who gossip about people who annoy them? Do you think it's only Christians who yell at their spouses? Do you think it's only Christians who hate some of their teachers? Do you think it's only Christians who hate other people at times? 
Absolutely not. Do you know why? Because it is a common core human problem deep within every single human that we do not love well. And here's the point. The best hope that you and I have, any of us actually have, at truly loving someone is Jesus. The only person who can really help us to love others in the way that we are called to in this passage is Jesus. Who else, and, and just think for a second, go back through all of history and now, who is the only person who teaches us that we are not only to love God and each other, but we are to love our enemy? Jesus is the pushback in all of history. Jesus has defined love so deep and so wide and so broad and so vast that John would say, even if your rights aren't men, even if they hate you, even if they make fun of you, even if they ignore you, even if you don't have a lot of things, you need to love one another. Why? So that we are no cause to someone else's stumbling. Who else can do that? Who else can love? And here is the best part of all. That in our attempts to love one another, Jesus, he finds us. He disciples us, which means he, he, he apprentices us. How do we grow in love when love is so hard for us? Remember that word I said? First word of verse 7. Beloved. We love because he has first loved us. We can love others well because Jesus would love us so deep and so wide that even when we were enemies, that even when he was being crucified on the cross for our sins, that he would love you and he would love me perfectly and wholly. Jesus didn't even speak English. He didn't look like you and me. He loved his enemy every single time. And Jesus now asks us the question, who do you love? And maybe you could say, I love this person and that person and a few of these people. And my question is now, who are some of the people that we ignore? Who are some of the people that when we're looking over here and loving them well, that we forget about all of them over here? This passage makes me come undone. And I think if you're really honest and if you really consider how well you love everyone and even when you are being treated unfairly, how well you love, I think you have to buckle under this pressure. And that is the best place to be. The best place to be in this passage is to say, I don't love well. Do you know why? Because it is there that we see God and we remember 
that it was God who loved the whole world, that he should send his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And through Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can be discipled, and we can grow in our love for one another. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd forgive us of our apathy towards others. Forgive us, Lord, and teach us how to love as you have loved us. A love so amazing, so divine. And Father, I pray that these students here would get a glimpse, a better picture of your love for them. That it would cause them to go out and, and to love every single person they see. To love even when it's super, super hard and difficult. To love when it, honestly when it makes no sense at all. Jesus, we, we want to be your disciples. We, we want to follow you. We want to do things your way. Give us your grace when we don't. Give us your grace when we love poorly. Why don't you guys take a minute or two and in the quietness of your own hearts, pray to God, ask him to come and remind you of, of his amazing love in your life.